Radio Drome. Welcome to a very special episode of Radio Drome. We got a packed show tonight, so quick, go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item, to get three free DVDs, to get free shipping in the United States, and to get a free mystery gift, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. We have the interview we kind of plugged last week a little bit. Dr. Bowl will be speaking to us, and you guys are not going to believe the things he says in this interview. Brad is MIA somewhere, right, Brian? I mean, he confirmed with me that he'd be here, and he confirmed with you he'd be here, didn't he? Yeah, I'm assuming he probably just got, I don't know, running over filming something. Alex Jowski is with us as well. Alex, Brad, and I interviewed Dr. Bowl. Brian, you weren't there for the interview, but you've heard it. Without spoiling yes. anything, you got anything to tell people about our interview with Dr. Bull? Holy Christ, you need to listen to the entire thing. Like it, it it's a fantastically enlightening interview. <laughs> the thing I found the creepiest is just how open he is in this. You guys have heard the questions I asked. Did I ask him any softball questions or not? No. Not that I could tell. I was asking him some pretty borderline offensive questions. He not only answered them, he answered them with a smile. Yeah, there were a couple that you even kind of prefaced a little bit. I'm like, uh, uh, where are you going with this, Josh? I prefaced with a little bit like, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I have to ask. (laughs) And I kind of thought he'd either hang up or call me a jerk. And he's like, no, no, see, here, here is what happened. And he just goes off and it's like, that was brilliant. And then, guys, when we start to say goodnight, don't stop listening, because there's more after that. He went, he goes off after we started saying goodnight on on a question we didn't even ask, and it's just this is great radio. You guys are going to hear it. I'm going to ask each of you guys, what do you think of his movies overall? I wouldn't say fan in like the way of like, ooh, a new one's coming out. I definitely have to check it out. As much as I'd say I'm a fan in that. Holy crap, you hear there's a new one coming out. Oh, this will be even worse than the last one. It's hilarious. I've seen a fair number of his films, and they're all just so... Huh. You well, know? Do you like any of them? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a there's a couple. Um, honestly, pretty much, like, Rampage is hands down, like... If I would actually show... Actually, I, I showed my, my girlfriend that one about a week or so ago. But, like, a lot of the other ones, I... I really wouldn't. I think the most recent one I've seen, uh, aside from showing her Rampage, was In the Name of the King 2, and that was just a train wreck. Big fan of Uwe Boll. I mean, both his video game works are fun for their own reasons. A lot of his serious work of late, like Rampage and Stoic and Darfur, are great well-made movies. Comedies are just, they're not quite funny as much as they are offensive. And I, I think one one of the big things with his movies is I don't think he is necessarily a bad filmmaker. Yes, sometimes the films aren't good. I mean, I personally love Rampage, Postal, and Alone in the Dark. And I know I'm going to take some crap for liking Alone in the Dark, but I liked that movie. I think one of the things is the scripts. He tends to pick scripts that are not very good. Like, do you guys know the, about the Blood Rain script incident? What was the incident? The writer who originally, they wrote the original script, they were told it was just going to be a first draft. And and even they, when they turned it in, the lady was not happy with it. She assumed someone was going to rewrite it. 
She showed up for her contractually obligated screening. It was her first draft. No one rewrote the script after she turned her first draft in. He shot that. Oh, miscommunication. How how does that even happen? I thought there were, like, checks and balances for this kind of stuff. She just assumed when nobody called her for a rewrite that, some, that you know, they hired someone else to rewrite the script. Not just set it on a coffee table and thought about it. He shot it as her first draft. And then, as you people, I do ask the question about Michael Madsen. He had no way to control Madsen in that film, as you'll hear. So you can't really blame him for the Madsen's performance, can you? Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I have to say, like, I, I after listening to to the interview here earlier, he really does like listening to him explain what happened for each of these movies. It's like, you know what? He, he should get some sort of award just for the effort he put into it. Maybe not the effort that was produced, but you know, the, the he effort was really he put trying, trying. Is what you're trying to say? He really tried. Together, yeah, yeah. he did everything. Like he he made it sounds like from from hearing him tell it he made the best movies he possibly could, given the insane circumstances that seem to surround every movie he's attached to. I think one of the problems he runs into is he because of his usually uh, European investors, most of his movies are shot out of the United States, and I think that creates problems right there. There is that language barrier. There's that and. It's just so much more difficult to get, maybe if it, it like, like Postal, which is supposed to take place in America, to find a European city that's going to look enough like an American city. That's probably not an easy thing to do. Well, I mean, in the interview, Bold does go over the difficulties he had shooting in Romania and different places in Europe. Right. I think I think the guy should just find a way to shoot in America. He was taking advantage of some sort of like a uh, like a tax shelter that kind of helped out filmmakers, but it required like a certain percentage of that be done like actually in Germany. And uh, I'm obviously boiling down a lot of specifics into something general here. What it comes down to is him being a German citizen, and there's some kind of German tax loophole where if you invest in a film, you can write off the investment on your taxes. So there's absolutely no risk for the investors. If the movie makes money... They make money. If the movie loses money, they can write off their entire investment on their taxes, and they're out nothing. Now, yep. That's how you get investors. <laughs> that's the other thing I like so much about Bull's work. He's more than willing to make fun of himself. Did you guys see Postal at all? How he blatantly makes fun of himself in that? And his whole, I don't like video games. Even in Blubberella, where he plays Hitler and makes fun of his own movies? We're going to go to the interview in a minute, but he holds nothing back. You guys enjoy Brad, Alex, and I talking to Uwe Boll. We'll come back afterwards and try and summarize the insanity that you just heard. Hello, Mr. Boll. Thank you very Hi. much for taking the time to speak to us. No problem. Sorry that I'm 20 minutes late. I was That's like, no it happens. I absolutely love your f*** the critics attitude. You're going to make the movies you want to make. Thank you. <laughs> I, I guess my first question would be, why Why did you take this stance, and why do you not give a shit what the critics say? No, uh, uh, it would be a lie to say that uh, uh, I, I give a completely shit what the critics say, but at one point in my career, I recognized that, uh, in my case, it's a lose battle. When uh, I did House of the Dead and Alone in the Dark, and from this point on, it was like a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, so whatever I did... I got the wrong, I, I, I always uh, basically 
uh, had the feeling whatever I do, even if I do tons of different genres, tons of different movies, uh, and not all based on video games, um, the result with the critics is always exactly the same. So, and from this point, uh, I, I in a way gave up on them and, and said, look, if, uh, if, if you don't do your job properly, that you judge movie for movie and not like basically with a, with a blind eyeglass on just whatever I do bash into the ground, then I don't take you serious anymore. And this was basically an, an evolving uh, uh, situation, you know, like it was not like something what happened overnight. It was something what happened over a uh, time period of two years. So, and since then, I actually feel better. My favorite movies of yours are Rampage, Postal, and Alone in the Dark. I think Rampage is the one that everyone should go, you know what? Look at this now. If all you saw was House of the Dead, look at Rampage. No, I agree. Uh, I, I think Stoic, the prison thing I did, is very good. I think Dafur, Attack on Dafur about uh, the Sudanese genocide, it's very strong. It's basically a little like in the... Uh, uh, in the direction of, of a rampage, the way I did it, but uh, that movies especially they got in a way ignored, you know. And the people and when you read the reviews of whatever in the name of the King Part Two, then you have the feeling I didn't did I, I didn't did any movie between in the name of the King and maybe Far Cry and then in the name of the King Two, and they ignored everything what I did in between. And and uh, this is uh, in a way pissing me off, especially. Uh, what you said with Postal, if, if you compare like your three favorite films are totally different. You know, like Rampage, Postal and Alone in the Dark are uh, uh, completely different movies. And uh, so, and this is the thing what, what I think the, uh, some people should just do a little more research before they judge somebody like once and for all. Like, this is the worst director ever. Uh, yeah, but based on what? Like ba based on what movies and a lot of people, they watch three movies and then they just posting everywhere that I'm the worst director ever. So it's kind of sad. Yeah, uh, since um, you've done some more comedies now to like Postal and, and of course, uh, even going back to like German fried movie. What, what genre do you particularly like working in better, like action or a, a lot more of the, the comedic stuff? It's basically uh, what I, my personal favorites are, uh, of course, Postal is my personal favorite movie. It was the most fun to shoot that movie, and I still have the most fun to watch that movie. Uh, and uh, I think um, it, it, it's interesting to see, like a guy like Seth MacFarlane, who I love Family Guy. I love his stuff. Yeah. So and, and but he's so super successful. And then you do something with real actors like Postal, what is exactly this kind of humor, even maybe a little more political incorrect, uh, uh, even as Family Guy, but very ridiculous. And then it gets like bashed into the ground and the theaters refusing to, to play it. It was a very, in a way, a, a very negative experience. At the same time, I was five weeks ago in Paris where they finally released Postal in one movie theater after they bought the movie five years ago. And then they invited me to the midnight screening and the people were laughing their asses off. I, I couldn't understand one word because it was French dubbing, but uh, <laughs> I, I know I know the dialogue. So and, and this is the thing, but, but it's for me most satisfying to see that a lot of people like Postal at least. But they definitely didn't pay it. That's it. That's why Silicon downloaded it. So, but the second uh, things what I really like is stuff based on reality, uh, and I give it a, a, a gritty, 
uh, a grit, gritty twist, like a movie like Rampage, what is very cynical. It's also about our whole like kind of age of greed. The movie, what I just did, Age of Greed, the bailout about the financial crisis is similar to Rampage, but on Wall Street. And uh, so these are the movies I really like, where I put, in a way, the finger in the wound. And, and uh, uh, same with the Dafur genocide. Uh, the movie is like a 40, 40 minutes of the movie. is a massacre. Yeah? It's super brutal. But I think it was necessary to, to show that uh, uh, genocide in Dafur in a, in a hard way to say, look, it's, is it not a little absurd that we, whatever, we have a war in Afghanistan because we're looking for bin Laden who was never there. And then we look uh, and we said, OK, but now we, we make sure in Afghanistan the, the woman can vote. But at the same time in Sudan, 350,000 kids and, and women getting hacked in pieces and we do nothing. And this is the reason I showed that massacre so uh, uh, straight in the face to say, look, this is what we allow. And if you think from all the dictators, like Gaddafi dead now, Saddam dead, whatever. But the worst guy is Bashir in Sudan, and he's still in power. So uh, what the f are we doing? You know, like what 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 is that? What 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 are our what is our foreign policy? So if 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 we say we 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 look for a, a moral and say we cannot allow a genocide anymore, especially learning from the history with with the Second World War, and then we just overlook this after Rwanda the next big thing and we overlooked it again you know like George Clooney and Matt Damon they were nicely uh, collecting money for the uh, for the first aid camps but nothing really happened to stop the genocide what initially drew you to directing video game movies and to continue to direct them despite what critics said yeah my the, the thing was I did the movie Heart of America about school violence and it totally made no money at all and then uh, the company Mindfire, Mike Altman, came to me with the script of House of the Dead. He said he has the rights, he has the script, he's ready to go, but he needs uh, a producer, director. He, uh, uh, he wants to do it with me. So then I did House of the Dead. And this was, uh, till today, the most profitable movie I did. So it was like $7 million to do. And it, I think it made uh, $11 million in the box office in the U.S., but it made over $40 million in DVD and TV worldwide. So it was a huge financial hit, and I was backed by investors, and they said, you have to do this kind of movies, you have to keep going, whatever f***ing video game you can get, we want video game based movies, we don't want the movies like the movies I want to do, is the stuff what I write also, and stuff like this, and, and, uh, and I couldn't basically proceed with it, so I was uh, uh, looking out for games I... I liked like Alone in the Dark and later Blood Rain. I liked the character of Blood Rain and I tried to acquire video games in a, in a wide range of, of genres. And, uh, and so this is the reason that I made so many because uh, with the video games came the money from the investors. Later, the other movies, they didn't, they were not financially uh, successful. Alone in the Dark didn't make the, move, the money completely back, or Blood Rain uh, also not. And Blood Rain 2, Blood Rain 3, they made money. Or In the Name of the King 2, the smaller movies uh, for direct-to-DVD, they finally made their money. But it, 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 is, it was really like that, that thing, okay, do you want to make movies or you don't want to make any movies anymore? There would be no Rampage or Auschwitz, what I, what I finished, or Darfur, if I would not make that video game based movies because then I had a world sales company going and I had some cash flow to, to say, okay, I want to do that, the full movie now, and uh, I pay it. 
basically. You know, so the, the, this is uh, the whole story behind it. Assuming you could get the money, what genre would you like to work in that you haven't yet? Because I can say I would absolutely love to see you take on a space opera. I'd love to see an Uwe Boll space opera. <laughs> so, no, I, I personally like genre movies, and, and uh, uh, it would be fun to do, uh, to do something big or whatever, you know, like the Uwe Boll version of a, a, a big Marvel comic movie or, or whatever. But uh, on, on the other hand, I'm very interested in what's going on uh, political in the world, and uh, especially with, with, that, with that Bela movie where I'm, where I'm post-production with. This are the subject matters I, I really like to do. Uh, but of course, it would be nice to have the same budget what, what Oliver Stone had for Wall Street 2, uh, a movie what I think he f***ed completely up. And, and uh, um, I, I think uh, my bailout movie would be definitely uh, uh, a, a big theatrical movie if I would have more money to do it. So I had to compromise uh, with how many sets I could have. And then you have a broker room with 60 brokers, but you don't have the broker room with 500 brokers. So and this is the thing where it's a little sad to, to compromise. But I would definitely, I would love to make realistic movies with way more money. If you think, think about a movie like Rampage in New York City, you know, like with $100 million. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could do stuff what nobody ever saw in, in, in their lifetime. And, and I would, this would thrill me to do something like this. And uh, yeah, but uh, I don't think it will happen. So I don't think a studio comes uh, and gives me this amount of money. I, I have to keep going with my more personal uh, movies. My favorite of the movies is uh, Rampage. I, I like that movie a lot. One of the things I liked was the was the the the, the, ac the actors in the movie and their dynamic with each other, their their chemistry with each other as well. Was there a lot of room that they had in the movie to kind of improvise with each other, play off of each other? And, and stuff like that while filming. Absolutely, it was. I wrote only uh, an extended treatment, and they had to make up the dialogue. I said in the movie will be not so much dialogue. So and uh, especially him with his family, with Matt Frewer mm -hmm. and Linda Boyd, they had a great chemistry together. And uh, they, it was all the whole kitchen breakfast stuff was all completely improv. Yeah. So we also created like Brandon and I created his character that he's like that endless. Uh, like he, he that, that he not the endless students that he didn't even went to university and he's not leaving his parents' house he doesn't know what to do he works at the car shop so uh, it it was um, very intense with him and me talking about this character and uh, because he's so a good character actor I think it was the, the best way uh, the best way uh, to do it basically and then of course the action scenes we had to we had to stage it because there were so many. Uh, stunts and special effects involved. It was not easy to to totally improvise it. With a lot of your movies, you'll use the same actors over again, like Edward Furlong is in a couple, and Brendan, who you mentioned. Who have been some of the your favorite actors to work with? So it's, a, it's a big range. You have different people, yeah. different uh, different delivery. As friends, I definitely had Will Sanderson. He played Seed and before in tons of movies, but he stepped out of acting and uh, studied medicine in Texas. So he is not acting anymore, but he was my best friend as as actor. And then Michael Paré and Clint Howard are definitely two good friends and actors, and I like working with them. Talent-wise or quality-wise, extremely good is Edward Furlong. It's too bad that he is like just a lunatic drug addict and all that stuff. 
but I think his talent is there. He's never really, even if he doesn't know his text or whatever, but he is never really off or something. He, he slips into character and he's really good. In Brandon's case, I saw that he's perfect for movies like Heart of America, where he plays the bully and, and, uh, and Rampage, but he was wrong for Blood Rain 3 or Blue Barella because it's just not his kind of material. This was, in a way, a negative experience with him on this movies because you felt like he's not that guy who can, who can just be uh, the fighter, the, the soldier, the cop or whatever. He's a real character actor. So Ben Kingsley was very easy to work with, comes and delivers, and he has like a strong uh, appearance. Same on in the, Jason Statham was super easy to work with, on a very sportive, easygoing and uh, um, never, never a problem, you know. Then you have people like Ray Liotta, uh, uh, Michael Madsen. They are complicated to work with. Burt Reynolds, not easy people. Also, in a way, all nice, but but uh, also very complicated and uh, ego-driven and insecure. And and uh, uh, you feel like you're not getting really the feedback you want from from people uh, uh, like this. Speaking of like the Michael Madsen and Ray Liotta's and that, are they people you chose or were they people like the production company said, we want Burt Reynolds in this movie, we want Jason Statham? Because, and I don't mean to be insulting at all, but Michael Madsen looked like he did not want to be in Blood Rain at all. Absolutely. You're, you're completely right. Uh, uh, the, the thing was, when we were already prepping in, uh, in Romania, we had uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Cristiano Lopez were the first uh, uh, cast in Blood Rain. The, then ICM, the agencies, they basically pitched one after the other. And so the, then in the end, also Michael Madsen came and he was a mess. He was drinking. He was uh, uh, almost the first day he said to, to Logan, whatever, like, she's the whore. Or whatever. Like he, was, he was like losing it on day one. And uh, Sean Williamson, the producer, uh, said to me he wants to throw him out. And then I, I went in his uh, in his uh, yeah, locker room or where, wherever he was. It was pitch black in it. And I went to him and I told him, look, I like you as an actor. I want you in the movie. But uh, I, I, I don't know how to do this now. Like you are insulting everybody. You're, you don't you, you do every every shot. He did something else. So the other actors had no clue what he was doing. And uh, yeah, and then I made a mistake. I carried him through that whole movie. He was like a mess also. Then he was crying from time to time and uh, drinking a lot and everything. And I, I basically kept him and didn't throw him out. And it was a mistake. It was also a mistake that I didn't throw out Tara Reid on first day on Alone in the Dark. But uh, this were my first two movies with real cast, like real bigger cast. And then you know also, like if you throw them out, you're not getting the money back. Like the, the fees you pay them is gone. And especially in Blood Rain in Romania, where, where you want to get a replacement? Like the, it takes three days to get a replacement in. In a movie like this, you cannot have in a, in a movie like this just a Romanian guy talking barely English taking over. And then, uh, uh, this would, the cost would be at least five, six hundred thousand dollars for the delay to put everything on hold for three days. The whole domino stone thing was in front of me, and I felt like, F- what should I do now? It, it's like, 
Uh, if you would shoot in LA, you could send Michael Madsen home. You have another guy there five hours later, but it's not the case in, in Romania. This were all like tough decisions, not easy to make. And uh, uh, no, he hated it. And we, Blood Rain won all three Blood Rain movies. I, I just had a coffee with my DP, Matthias Neumann. And we, we recognized, like, what were the worst movies we shot, like, the, the, from shooting-wise? Like, what was the most horrific shooting experience? And it was all three Blood Rain movies, for various different reasons. But Blood Rain 2 was, a, like, we burned down by accident that whole Western city with explosions, couldn't shoot, the biggest insurance case that we ever had. And it was pissing ice rain. Every night I had to drive, like, one and a half hours to the set, 12 hours, nighttime ice rain shooting outside. It was a total disaster. I hated Blood Rain 2 as a shoot. And Blood Rain 1 was so bad because Romania was, it was a big movie. We were three months there. The food was horrific. Everywhere was that, like that wild dogs. We took like wild dogs home. I, I saved a few dogs, but then I felt more responsible for the dogs as for the movie at one point because I felt like shit if I couldn't feed the dogs one day. It was like totally affecting me. And then Michael Madsen and then Michelle Rodriguez, she came to set every day and changed her text. And I said, yeah, but Michelle, uh, it's good that you change your text, but the other people, uh, they, <laughs> they would say still the old text and nothing fits together anymore. And she couldn't, she didn't get it. And I said, like, uh, if you say something, Michelle, and the other guy says the old text, but it's not matching anymore, then we have a total mess. Yeah, so, and she was also, in, in a way, a lunatic at this point. I don't know what, if she took drugs or whatever, but it was the same thing. She came to set and printed out on her home computer her new lines, and it, it was crazy. And stuff like this, you know, where 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 it, it was a very hard shoot and, and not easy, and, and then in Blood Rain 3 in Croatia, the same stuff with, in winter, nighttime, outside, and uh, uh, also, like, Shooting-wise, a total, a total disaster. I like it when this happens a lot, and I don't see it too much anymore. In a situation like Blood Rain Three and Blubberella, we have movies shot very, very close to each other with some of the same sets and things like. Where did that idea come from? Was that always kind of a plan to to do both of those movies very close, and were they shot simultaneously or just like kind of right after each other? No, it was, uh, I even shot Auschwitz in the end, right? So it was. No, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. I, after Postal, I love Lindsay Hollister. In Postal, she did the job interview, right? So what is the difference between a duck? And, um, and, uh, I loved Lindsay Hollister. I think she's super funny. And when, when I, and I met her in LA a few times and I felt like, what can we do together again? Because she's so super fat. It is totally tough to get her in a non, comedy normal movie and i was not doing any comedy so then i felt like why not having her as a female superhero and so using because i couldn't get the financing together for the separate to, to just use the blood rain uh setup and to shoot that two movies parallel with with one or two extra days for blubberella in the end the problem with this was it was so tough to shoot blood rain in that temperature and the different locations that we didn't have enough time for Blubberella. 
And this is the reason that I think in Glorella, you have maybe 45 minutes that are really funny and 45 minutes are completely ridiculous shit. Yeah, so, and I think Glorella, uh, like Lindsay, was also not really happy and she gave me shit that she didn't have enough screen, like shooting time, right? So, and I said, yeah, but what should I do? I cannot have Bloodrain 3 uh, total suffering because uh, th this will be 80% of the revenues. And um, so, it, it, so it added up a lot, a lot of stress. I felt she was feeling shit and she was feeling unhappy. And um, so the funny experience or the good experience was then basically turned into a very bad one. People like Brandon and so on, they were unprepared for the comedy version. And then they, you, you have people that are like in, in improv, they, they can be funny, but you have also people, if they completely have to improv something, they're not fun. Like Clint Howard, he needs a text, right? And he played the doctor in Bloverella also. And he he cannot pull it off. He cannot. He, he's not free. Like he cannot just stand there like a a, a stand-up comedian and and uh, basically pull something out of his ass. Yeah. So, but this is the thing. It it, it was it was overall like a mixed-up, uh, not positive uh, experience. Regarding the video game movies, the ones you've done and the sequels and stuff. How much support do you get from the video game companies themselves, and how does that support or lack of support help with the movie? Um, yeah, it is a lack of support generally. Uh, so, and uh, the, the Sega or Atari on Alone in the Dark, uh, Majesco, they did almost for Blood Rain, they did almost absolutely nothing uh, to promote the movie. They used me as a promotion tool for the game, but they didn't did anything. They didn't spend any co-advertising money when the movies came out or anything like this. On In the Name of the King, the problem was that Gas Power Games sold the rights to the whole game to Square Enix in the end, and they gave a shit about the movie. Then uh, Microsoft was uh, gone as a distributor, so they didn't did anything. I think Microsoft did one promotion thing for us. When the movie came out, like a postcard letter where Microsoft was sending out 50 million postcards and they put us on the back of the postcard or something. Better is nothing. Really good, of course, is then when you work with people like Vince Dizzy from Running With Scissors, postless their only game, and they came to set, they played in the movie, they promoted the movie uh, with their minimal financing they have, yeah, with their minimal abilities they have. So, But they were behind it and pushing it. And... Uh, on Far Cry, uh, because I bought the rights from Crytek, the, the guys that did Far Cry, before the first game came out. And then Ubisoft, and I got it very cheap. So then Ubisoft was super mad with Crytek that they sold the, the movie rights. And, uh, so, and they were so pissed they didn't support it, the movie at all. I offered Ubisoft that they make the CGI on Far Cry, because they have a CGI a company in Montreal, and they refused it. They said, we don't want to have anything to do with the movie. So uh, so this was also not a very good experience. Yeah. So overall, I cannot say that the video game companies uh, are very supportive. They just want to send, sell, uh, sell the license. Do you think at this point it might be your name? And have you ever thought of kind of pulling a, a, a bit of a prank? Direct an entire movie, you know, something as dead on and hard as like Darfur or Rampage and do it under a pseudonym. And then after everyone says how good it is, go, it was Uwe Boll, fuck. Yeah, I know. And we discussed it 
<laughs> already four years ago. The problem is in times like today, everybody from the set has phones, iPhones, Facebook, whatever, and Twitter. You have no chance anymore. If you do that 20 years ago, you could do that. You know, but because there was basically whatever the fax machine was there, but nothing else. But today <laughs> now it would leak because the crew would know that it's a, uh, that, that you are the guy or you put just a Darth Vader helmet on <laughs> and nobody sees you ever. You know, and you, you sit there on your director chair with a Darth Vader helmet or something, you know, like a Spider-Man mask and, uh, and nobody uh, nobody knows who you are. Even this is strange, but especially if you make a uh, a movie where it matters that you have good contact to the actors. Like in Darfur, uh, can you imagine? I would stay in front front of Sudanese refugees and they say, "Look, I have that Batman thing on. Don't worry, uh, it, it it would it would work." Yeah, so I think it's a good idea. It would be interesting, but it's also um, unrealistic. What would what would your dream uh, video game movie project be? Like one that you don't think would probably get made, but is like would be like the dream one to to go after. In the beginning, I really liked the Hitman idea to do Hitman, but then they made the movie, and uh, I had Jason Statham ready to do it, and uh, but I didn't get the right. So um, and uh, Idos sold then the rights to somebody else. But before that, they sold to me Fear Effect, what I never did then, and I was super pissed with Eidos. I said, I buy Fear Effect only if I if I get Hitman also. And they said, yeah, don't worry, we have your interest in our thing. But of course, now from movies never made, of course, Grand Theft Auto, World of Warcraft, this would be the top choices uh, as big movies uh, uh, to make. And I think Grand Theft Auto, if these guys would watch Rampage, Maybe they would think I'm the right guy to do it. Because I think if you make a Grand Theft Auto movie, you have to do it NC-17. Uh, if, if, and if Michael Bay is doing it, they in the end have a PG, like a, a PG-13 Grand Theft Auto movie, and it will be, it will make 200 million box office because they spend 100 million advertising, but it will be shit. I'm imagining you're an avid video game player since you've done so many video game adaptations. What would be your favorite video games? Yeah, to play. Uh, I, I love Silent Hill uh, always. Uh, uh, I just love love that game. It's, it's that creepy atmosphere has a great sound. So this is the best thing when you when you play it alone. And uh, because I started so early with an Atari and Commodore uh, uh, <laughs> computer, I was addicted to Asteroid and and like super easy games uh, to play. Yeah. My nephew is right now. He is the son of my brother. He makes a uh, he works at uh, Crytek right now in Frankfurt, and he's test playing a Crisis 3 the whole time. And uh, so he tries to find the bugs, but he's the guy who, like, he kills me in every single game we do. But he's, like, going to uh, LAN parties, played in the German championships, and so on. So against guys like this, I'm just a total loser. And, uh, but, uh, definitely I, I had fun playing that. And the Call of Duty, of course, right? So, but for example, Call of Duty is, for me, it's just like, it's almost a movie already. If I play, if, if you play a game like this, then you, you doesn't see the value anymore to make a movie out of it because you have it just in front of you and even better as a movie. This is the thing. I think to, uh, it needs also a little, uh, gaps to fill or like black holes in a way in the game to make an interesting movie out of it with some of the high high-end games now they're getting closer and closer 
that they have openings of 30 minutes uh, like movies, you know, like crazy stuff. So I, I think uh, uh, it gets more and more in a way uninteresting to make to make games uh, 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 movies out of out of games if, if the movies evolving in that in that speed, how they involve. Yeah, I, I could actually see you doing a Saints Row the Third movie. I think that would kick ass. But have have you ever thought about doing TV or are you just movies? Because I could see you totally doing like a CSI Miami episode or or something like that. Yeah, but I don't have an agent. In uh, you know, I never had an agent. I never had a manager. And I think this kind of jobs uh, you get only if you have an agent. And uh, I met a few agents a few years ago, and I couldn't. They they said like, no, you're too specific, like whatever. And uh, I I couldn't I could not make it work. I, I felt also like uh, this is in a way I don't need a uh, a daddy or somebody who takes care of my business. I'm I'm very good with business, you know. Like I, it's like like I don't need somebody negotiating a deal for me. I I need somebody. I said I need somebody who comes in who brings me some interesting projects. What I normally would not get or whatever, like some or pitches me for stuff where I don't know that it's even in the development phase somewhere. And this agent I didn't, I never found. So this is the reason I don't have an agent. I don't want to give somebody 10% of a fee for a movie what I produce. There's also, I said, like I said, no, you have to give us 10% of your fee no matter what. I said, yeah, but look, if I raise all the money and I make whatever blood rain too, why I should give you 10%? This is totally absurd. And they wanted the 10%. So this was another deal breaker for me. What are uh, some, some stuff coming up that you're really looking forward to? No, I'm very excited about Bailout. The movie uh, turns out really good. We're doing the CGI right now and the sound mix. I'm very uh, happy that that movie uh, turned out so good. Dominic Purcell plays the lead and he is, uh, I think he's a very underrated uh, actor. I think he has the same power and abilities to be a big action star like in Jason Stassen. Um, and uh, I'm happy that he agreed to play in the name of the King 3 what we will shoot in September in Bulgaria. And uh, so because Dolph Lundgren is not the best actor on earth, let's say it this way, he is a good type, but he's not a real, yeah, it's not a real actor in a way. So, and, and with Dominic Purcell, I can bring somebody in King 3. I think the script is way better as King 2. So the story is better. And um, with him, I have a real actor who, uh, who will have a, uh, also like a character development during the movie and a real deadline and stuff like this. So it's, it will be like a fight against the time. Uh, he has to go back to medieval times, but he has to come back because otherwise people will die in today's time. And uh, I'm, I think we, we have a good setup there. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to shoot that movie. And then I have another movie in development, what I've write also this time uh, on my own, and it's uh, it will be in India. I, I felt... After Slumdog Millionaire, nothing really came from India. Only the bullshit movies, basically. <laughs> Again, <laughs> what I liked in Slumdog was this kind of you are in a different world and you do something very realistic. And I looked into the whole the organ trade uh, uh, business in India, where like uh, thousands of people per month from the slums getting basically you know, whatever the the kidney is out, like they wake up and they took the kidney out, you know, stuff like this. So it's, it, it will be a very hard thriller, but based in India and, and very realistic uh, in that Darfur way 
I think this is something I, I develop it right now, and I hope I maybe can do it next year. You've done um, both movies that were for theatrical release and some that were specifically for DVD release. From a distribution standpoint, which has been the easiest for you, the ones that you found the most success and comfort with? No, of course, the direct-to-DVD business is more, you can calculate it better, and you know better what you will get. So then, then you, uh, it's not so, so high risk. And uh, the theatrical business is, of course, more interesting, and it makes it more fun to see your screen on the big screen and to go to festivals and so on. But it is also a lot of times very, in a way, frustrating. Where When I was fighting for Postal, that Postal gets some screens. I was in New York and everything. And then in New York, we got only one screen in the end in Brooklyn. And uh, it, it, it was very tough to get a movie like Postal out. And then you, you travel through the country to different, like you, you spend a lot of lifetime promoting that movies. And you feel you don't have a real chance because you just don't have that $50 million advertising behind you what the major movies have. The funny thing, for example, take the In the Name of the King. It was in US, a freestyle release, and it failed. But in other countries, like in Europe, 20th Century Fox released it, and the box office was good. Like, and, and this is the thing, it's like in a way like very disappointing for me to see your main big movie, like In the Name of the King, with Jason Statham, and then you don't get a properly studio release in US, even if in Europe, the same studio, like Fox, uh, 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 made. we were number, we started against American Gangster, same weekend in, in Europe, and we, they were number one, we were number two. And, and in week two, we were number five in the box office. So the movie definitely worked. And I'm sure in US, that movie would made also 30 or $40 million box office if we would got a normal, a normal release on 2,500 screens and the, the, with, with the advertising behind it. And it didn't happen. So, and this was then very, very disappointing. I just want to say thanks for being uh, so, you know, outgoing, so uh, honest with us and open about a lot of stuff. It's, You've it's, been more it's, honest it's, than, yeah, than I think, 90% of Hollywood. It's incredibly <laughs> rare you see that with, uh, when, when you're talking to, uh, to a director. No, so, thank you very much. And look, I, I think it, it, it makes no sense to sugarcoat things or to... Uh, to just talk around stuff and bullshit around and so on, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. this is also one of the reasons, like, it was interesting when I was in Bulgaria now, they were shooting a 300 part two Warner Brothers movie and Mark Canton, the big producer, and he talked to, he, he, I never met him, right? So, and he has another producer uh, from Warner and, and he said, like, this guy said, oh, Uwe Boll, are you crazy? Don't work with him. He's crazy, you know? So out of the blue, like he was talking to that studio owner in Bulgaria and the, Bulga the studio owner told me what they said. And I said, look, this is an image I have in Hollywood based on what? Like I never met this guy. So this guy maybe Googled me or whatever, read a few articles about me. And now he has that opinion. But then they hire for 300 part two, a director who never shot a movie. At all. And this is a typical studio behavior. And then they have this guy who shot two good music videos and he gets hired for a movie like 300 and now he doesn't know what to do at all. And they go every day three hours overtime and they will go $20 million over budget, you know, and they think they're the clever guys. And this is a, the sad part of it, you know, like when I, when I see like what people 
like in the in, in Hollywood or whatever what they what they say about me. How is that crazy when you made 29 movies and they were all made on time and budget? You know, like uh, is that crazy or is that is that like that you show that you can make movies and that you are disciplined enough to to make movies even with shit happening like Blood Rain 2 where that gas heater stuff exploded and burned down the whole railway station. You know, we still made it made the money back. And and this is the thing. It's like this is in a way pissing me off. You know? But but this is typical Hollywood. In Hollywood, uh, what works is if you're just like it, it, you just create an illusion around you. You are that super hip guy, the super cool guy. This is why they have managers. You know, like this is a guy who won the short movie competition in San Sebastian. Now you have to hire him for the Avengers. You know, like it's crazy. It's totally absurd what criteria they have in picking picking the people. This is, by the way, also that big dispute what I had about Michael Bay all that years. You know, like the the thing is like the good parts in Michael Bay's movies are all not made by him. Like the big stunt shit from Bad Boys, that he's not he's not there. The stunt coordinator is doing stuff like this, or the CGI stuff in Transformers or whatever, is like, it's not made by him. This is made by super talented, high-end, super expensive companies. And these are the strong parts of his movies. And the drama part, from Pearl Harbor to Transformers, sucks. The dialogue and the characters are all completely shit. And what I said is, if you give, like, there are 50 directors, they would make, with $200 million, the way every single movie would be way better made from, from other directors. You know, so this is only my my opinion about it. That it, it's just like uh, it's so easy if you have 200 million to make the technical aspect of a movie flawless mm -hmm. because you just have the best people doing it all. You know, so but if you see a shit movie like Prince of Persia or whatever, you know, there's <laughs> no excuse for it to make a movie like this if you have all the resources. But also this director maybe never made a movie before. I don't know what the director was the director, but there are tons of movies made where you just think like, how can they pick this guy? Based on what? So, Naya. Okay. Well, th th that's actually what we're trying to hope to do with like interviews like this. W when we told people we're going to be interviewing you, we had people in the industry like, why? And we said, because he's a fucking straight shooter and he makes good movies. Yeah, thank you that you said that. Yeah. Big fan of all, all your movies, especially as I mentioned, Stoic and Darfur. Rampage, definitely. Rampage. Absolutely Rampage. I don't know why everyone shits on Alone in the Dark. I liked Alone in the Dark quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say it was in TV and German TV two weeks ago, and we were sitting here like having a barbecue, and then we 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 basically switched channels, and it was running, and then we watched 45 minutes. I, I think the monster action is okay, and Stephen Dorff and and Christian Slater both do a good job. This is my personal opinion. I Tara Reid is painful to watch for me, but. <laughs> 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 well, at least I'm not the only one that thinks that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and being as brutally honest as you are. All right, now, was that not nuts or what, guys? It's a crazy interview. <laughs> I just love how he'll start answering a question, and then it just it seems like a quick question, and then he just goes on for hour, seemingly. Like, well, you mentioned, like, working with people like Edward Furlong, and then he's just like, oh, by the way, and all this crazy stuff about Edward Furlong. He's telling it like it is, which yeah, I think like is he, one he says, thing that really makes him not popular in Hollywood. 
is he calls Edward Furlong his friend, respects his talent, but he still says he's a drug-addicted lunatic. That's actually one thing I really do respect. And I think all the listeners to this show, doesn't matter if you like his movies or not, you can't not respect this man, can you? No, he's an amazing guy. You got to respect, like you pointed out earlier, kind of his tenacity, but also his I'm-not-holding-anything-back attitude, huh? Yeah, I, mean, I do kind of appreciate that, that he's so far outside of Hollywood that he's just completely unaffected by the general politics of it. It's like he's not just going to sit there like, oh, oh, yeah, it was such an honor working with someone like Michael Madsen, someone of his cal- caliber. You know, it's like, no, like I was a drunken asshole. I hated it. Talks about Alone in the Dark, and he says that Tara Reid is still unwatchable. I agree with that. I, like I said, I like Alone in the Dark, but Tara Reid's pretty unwatchable in that. Come on, she was wearing those glasses. She's totally a scientist, you guys. Christian Slater's charisma actually balanced her anti-charisma out, I think. What it comes down to, I'm personally really looking forward to his Occupy Wall Street movie. Well, we may not like all the movies. I I think I'm speaking for all four of us, Brad included, when we say, please keep making movies, because when there's a good one, it's a damn good one. And I agree with you, Brian. Rampage is an amazing film. Oh, yeah, de- definitely worth the wait. I mean, it was it was one of those things, like, the first time I watched it, I'm like, like oh, this is going to be great. And then five minutes in, I'm just completely captivated. This is really, really good. Like, it's, I think as soon as I finished watching that one, like, I like, ran over to Brad's. I'm like, dude, you have to watch this right now. Come with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things I liked about Postal. I liked the fact that, like Alex pointed out, as a comedy, it's it's offensive as hell. Yeah, and jokes. I loved that. He did not pull any punches in that movie. Every well, racial stereotype, every derogatory thing you could think of was in that film, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's the same thing with Blubberella. I mean, the jokes aren't very good. The humor in it is the same as the Setzer-Friedberg kind of humor. But it crosses that line by such a degree, it makes it enjoyable. Well, I do have to kind of... Uh give him credit for yeah his description like like listening to him talking about postal because yeah I, th- that one's definitely one that i did not enjoy watching hearing him t- like the way he talked about it and the way he described it as sort of basically like more so over the top live action version of like a family guy episode i'm like well okay i can kind of like looking at it like that i can i can see that he is one of the most original and hardworking filmmakers around and the guy does know what he's doing despite the bad reputation he gets I, I have respect for the guy. I mean, I, I've respected him to the nth degree ever since their years back when he decided to hold a boxing match for all of his critics. I mean, that that takes balls. I mean, he's he's insane, and it just it it just works for him. And I really hope he doesn't plan on stopping making movies anytime soon. Well, first of all, he's been getting better. He's been getting better. If you look at his early films from House of the Dead to the current stuff like Darfur. You can see a much better filmmaker there. And I think he's choosing better projects. And he's become, I think, a real force to to be reckoned with outside of Hollywood. Yeah. He's showing Hollywood that you don't need all your money in your marketing machine to make a even decent film. Definitely looking forward to uh, In the Name of the King 3, ne- something I never would have thought I'd say after watching Part 2. Where can we find Brian Lewis? Uh, you can find me and Brad when he shows up over at thecinemasnob.com. What about Alex Jowski? Geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com, 1201beyond at gmail.com, and you know the rest of the spiel. So, guys, have a good night, and 
spread that Uvi Ball interview around because I think people in Hollywood need to hear this. Why can't you? 